Hello and welcome to the Get Social Connected Leader podcast, where I, Michelle Carville, interview business leaders around the practicalities of how, in this hyper-connected digital age, they are embracing digital technologies to tune in and connect and communicate. You can find all episodes of the podcast together with show notes via our website, carvelcreative.co.uk forward slash podcasts. In this episode of the Get Social Connected Leader podcast, I'm delighted to interview Carlos Gill. Carlos is the author of The End of Marketing, recently published by Kogan Page. He's also an international keynote speaker and award-winning digital storyteller with over a decade of experience leading social media strategy for global brands, including LinkedIn, Winn-Dixie, Save-A-Lot and BMC Software. He's the CEO and founder of Gill Media Co., a full-service digital marketing firm based in Los Angeles. And his expertise has been featured by CNN Money, Harvard Business Review, Social Media Examiner, and Inc. He's also a regular contributor to Entrepreneur Magazine. So, Carlos, welcome to the Connected Leader podcast. It's wonderful to have you here. Hey, it's so good to be here on the podcast with you. Thank you so much for having me as your guest. Uh, absolutely delighted. So I have been reading your fantastic book, Carlos, The End of Marketing, Humanizing Your Brand in the Age of Social Media and AI. And it's very clear from reading your book that you and I are kindred spirits when it comes to social media and our views around marketing, relationship marketing, social listening. So I'm really looking forward to, to diving into this conversation. Yeah, likewise. Let's do it. So you yourself are a leader of your own organization. You're clearly very active on social and indeed you are a champion in an educator in helping other organizations uh, to engage with social media and digital. So tell me a little bit then about how you got started using social media and why. You know, I got started using social media uh, well before I I had a career in marketing. I started using social media back when it was called America Online or AOL uh, here in the States, uh, right around 1995, 96, I like to say. And I, I bring this up because social media in itself, while the platforms have evolved and changed, the way that we use it hasn't really changed much over the last, you know, I don't know, 25, almost 30 years. And I say this because when I started using social media, and I know a lot of people think about social media as Facebook and Twitter, but really what social media is, is socializing. It's connecting with people, virtually speaking, online, having communication, having dialogue, building relationships. These are things I was doing at a very, very young age. And I started seeing um, as a youth, where the current was headed. So I started using social media professionally right around 2008. And to give you context, how um, I fell upon this career that I have today, it was actually as a result of job loss. I was working in the banking industry at the time, and I was laid off. Uh, November 5th, 2008 was the exact day that I lost my job in the banking industry. And if you recall, right around that time, it was the beginning of what we would come to uh, now identify as the Great Recession. And uh, at, at November 2008, there were so many people losing their jobs right around the same time. And they were all kind of gravitating to LinkedIn. And it was through LinkedIn where I saw this opportunity to give back and to help other out-of-work professionals just like myself. 
Now, mind you, I was 25 years old at the time. I had never ran a business before. I wasn't a, a serial entrepreneur. Uh, I didn't have the skills I had today from a marketing standpoint. I was really, really just green. And it was through LinkedIn where I just became inspired to start up my own business. And that business became Jobs Direct USA, uh, which was an online job board at the time. Right. Now, how do how do you grow a business when you, first of all, are in a industry trying to help people find jobs when hundreds of thousands of professionals are losing their jobs right around that same time? How do you grow a business when you have zero marketing budget, zero funding, and very limited experience running a business? Well, for me, that answer became social media marketing. And social media was still relatively at the ground level back then. Yeah. So again, we're talking 2008. Facebook wasn't really being used on a commercial level yet. Twitter was only a few years old. LinkedIn was only a few years old at this time. So all these social networks were not being utilized uh, how they are today by the masses. And that's where I really saw the opportunity to capitalize. And the way I was able to grow my startup very quickly was by building relationships and also hosting events and communities um, called Pink Slip Parties. And what I realized early on using social media is social media is the gateway to meet people. And that gateway or that, that super highway, if you will, helps escalate to the front of the line virtually anyone that you want to meet. So yeah. back then, I was trying to engage and sell to heads of HR, recruiters, talent acquisition managers. Um, that was like one subset that I was trying to sell to. And I was easily able to go on LinkedIn and join various groups, network within the groups, identify who it is what I was trying to sell to, and then boom, I could develop a relationship directly with them. The, the flip side of that was when I was hosting events in various cities that I would host these pink slip parties, I would also leverage platforms like Twitter to reach out to media uh, in order for the media to come cover my events. So what I'm trying to say here is that at a very young age, I discovered that you can use these mediums not only to build a brand for yourself, like I did for myself back then and I still do today, but you can also use these mediums to connect with who it is that you are trying to sell to without having to do the traditional cold calling tactics of picking up the phone and hard selling to someone. Absolutely. And, and you know, there's nothing like being at the coal face, doing it, using these channels yourself at that very grassroots level to really understand the power of them. And, and a lot of what you're talking about there is, you know, is networking, is bringing people together, is building those relationships, having those dialogues. And, and the beauty of, this, I suppose, the social technologies in that perspective is that you can do that without restriction, can't you? You know, you, you're not limit, you're not in a car driving around the, the country to try and meet these people. You can do that very quickly, very efficiently, very effectively, uh, you know, and move on to the next if it's a no. So from a, from a kind of, you know, um, efficiency perspective, it, 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 they were, they're very efficient tools. They are efficient tools, but I do want to say that social media and social networking itself is time-consuming. 
Yeah. So I think there's this misconception, though, that social media is the end-all, be-all. If you create a Facebook page, if you have a presence on LinkedIn, if you're on Twitter, that that right there is going to uh, unlock for the keys to the kingdom for unlimited business success. And it doesn't quite work that way. No, no. So anyone that comes to me nowadays and says, you know, hey, Carlos, I see what you do on social media. I want to have a brand as well. The first thing I ask them is, why do you want to have a brand? online? Why do you want to have a personal brand? What do you want that personal brand to do for you? And are you really willing to invest the time that it takes to, to really develop that personal brand? Because it's taken me now the better part of 12 years of every single day using social media mm-hmm. to connect, to network, to engage, to give value to those that follow me. So that, that's something I, wanna, I, I want your, your listeners to have a comprehensive understanding of, and I write about this in my book, End of Marketing, quite a bit. The key to building a successful business today is in the relationships that you build. It's in the brand also that you build. But first and foremost, as people, as humans, we relate to other people. We do business with who we feel comfortable doing business with. And this isn't just a social media thing. This is since the beginning of time, we have always been gravitated to want to spend time with people that we enjoy spending time with. We want to do business with those that we trust and we respect and we like. And what social media does is it gives you the opportunity to get in front of other people from a virtual and online standpoint to build that relationship without having necessarily be face to face. Exactly. And what's really interesting that I'm finding is, you, you know, I, 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 that a lot of the relationships, a lot of the first impressions now that people will have of a person will be a digital impression. It will be their LinkedIn profile. It will be maybe their intranet profile if it's internally. Um, you know, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a profile on the blog of the organization or, or you know, a profile of, of the partners within an organization. And so that profile is, is a digital one. And it's interesting because if that is the case, if you've got this online profile, it's a little bit like a website, isn't it? It's, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, put the website up there and build it and they will come. But unless you feed that website, optimize that website, make that website attractive uh, uh, for people to want to, to visit, you know, there's a reason to do that. Your personal brand, your personal profiles pretty much behave in the same way. And, and if there isn't a reason, to come and connect with you or to engage with you. If you're not feeding, if you're not optimizing your profile, being useful, being, uh, you know, giving advice, being that attractive beacon to come to of, of, of knowledge or thought leadership or whatever that looks like, it's the same, isn't it? There is, there is definitely that, oh, I've got my profiles and that's it, tick the box. But actually, you're right. There's a lot of work that goes into continually making sure that they are attractive places to visit. Yeah, you know, and, and something that kind of expanded what you just said that came to mind, uh, and I say this a lot in my keynotes, your strategy on social media should really focus on engaging more and selling less. Yes. So let's, you know, we all, we all understand that if you're on social media from a business standpoint, you're probably showing up to the party because you have something to sell or you have something to offer. We get that. The reality, though, is that everyone has something to sell and something to offer. So what makes you unique? What makes you stand out? And that's, again, in the content that you share and how you conduct yourself. Like, think of social media as the world's largest cocktail party. 
Right? You're never going to walk into a room and just write out the job, start right hooking and selling people, whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that you sell, or what you have to offer. Like in my case, I'm a public speaker, author, marketing agency owner. I'm a jack of all trades. But when I meet you online, that's not the first thing I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to say, hey, you know, hey, you know, yeah. I just met you. Go buy my book. No, I'm going to get to know you. I'm going to get to understand what it is that you do professionally speaking. What are some of your different challenges, your objectives? And I, I, I might you know, say, hey, you know, here are some ways if I was you, I would use social media. And by the way, if you want to know more, I've got to check it out. You know, and if not, go to my YouTube channel. There's a lot of free content there for you as well. So it took me the better part of, I'd say, a decade to really find what my voice online was. And when I create content that is more you know, personal, it's entertaining, people don't want to see that stuff. Yeah. Whereas when I post content that's educational in nature, they're all about it. And that's what gets the highest engagement. That's what gets the most views. That's what performs the best on my social media, at least. And that's the beauty of the space that we're in and the time that we're in is that what works for me might not work for you and vice versa. And it takes time of putting yourself out there building relationships, uh, really finding a tribe to be in. There's so many folks think that they have to have thousands of followers in order to be seen online. And, and that's actually false. You don't need to be. You can join communities, such as groups. I did that you know, early on in 2008, 2009. I was joining a lot of groups on LinkedIn today. I'm a member of a lot of different groups and communities on Facebook. Where I'm, I'm active networking those groups on daily basis, Twitter. You know, it's the same thing. You can go on Twitter right now and you can run a search for whatever topic it is that you want to contribute to. And you can see what people are talking about. You can just jump right into those conversations, whether anyone follows you or not. You know, let's talk about, let's talk about executives for a moment. I, I personally work with a lot of uh, C level executives that are kind of going through some transition in their career. They might be, you know, um, you know, either recently left a C-suite role and they're looking for a new C-suite role. They might be looking for investment opportunities. And that's how the social media is where you need to be. Because we talk so much about influencers being these, these young, hip, cool millennials and Gen, Gen Zers. But from my standpoint, just being a businessman myself, the real influencers are the C-suite. Those are the ones that have spent the last, you know, three, four decades working in the, in the professional in the professional space. They themselves are decision makers at businesses and brands that they represent, and they have influence. So I consider a C-level executive to be an influencer. But if they themselves are not on social media, then I don't have access to engage with them, and that kind of you know becomes a barometer of, you know, how influential are you really? And also your next opportunity, your opportunities could really be hindered or opened as a result of your presence online. Exactly, exactly. And I think for some, for some leaders, you know, they, they are they're very well experienced in what they're doing and there is, there is a fear of almost getting it wrong. I mean, that was, the, that was when I was doing my research around uh, Get Social, which was positioned for leaders to, you know, to support them through that transition. Um, you know, when I looked into what the challenges that they were coming up against, it was very often fear of getting it wrong, not knowing the technology, uh, you know, and all of these things can be uh, not really knowing what to say, not knowing what they wanted to be seen as or known for. And, you know, did they have anything? I think there was a lot of 
people thinking that they have to go onto these onto these um, channels and it's almost like stand-up comedy. You know, they, they've almost got to try and uh, entertain everybody the whole time. And, and, and of course, there are different reasons why people want to follow different people. Uh, what would your advice be then to somebody, to a CEO or C-level leader who is thinking of, you, you know, taking that jump that, that is being maybe pressured by their marketing team or HR team to, to step out? What, what advice would you give to them in the first instance? You know, the first advice I would give to any C-suite executive that's on the fence about using social media, personally speaking, aside from their company, is just get out and do it and make yourself a little vulnerable. It's okay to put yourself in situations that feel uncomfortable and uneasy because social media doesn't come natural. Let's face it, your average C-suite executive is probably somewhere in their 50s, if not 60s. Okay, social media is not something they grew up with. They are not digital natives, and that's okay. So I suggest that you, you, you join a platform, a platform like yeah. Twitter, where on Twitter you can see what others are saying about your company, swoop in, and selectively engage with anyone that you, that you think you should be engaging with. You know, there's uh, this misconception I think a lot of brands have that your CEO's Twitter account needs to be a carbon copy of your newsroom on your website. Um, and that in itself is, is, is wrong. Yeah. I see this happen all the time where brands are you know, literally, you could look at a CEO's Twitter account and it looks like corporate comms wrote every single tweet. Yeah. Every single tweet is perfect. The grammar's perfect. There's a link to where you can go to read more. And today's consumer can, can smell through the BS. Yeah. They can tell when a executive or anyone for that fact of the matter is, is being authentic with how they're using social media or if it's just a corporate sales pitch. And the reality is that people don't want to be sold to. They want to be engaged. Yeah. So this is where you have to make yourself a little, a little you know, vulnerable and go outside your comfort zone. Instagram is another platform where I think executives can kill it. I'm using Instagram stories just to show what a day in the life is like, to bring their customers, their employees behind the scenes of what it is that they do. And if you want to get employee adoption at your organization, it's actually tough. A lot of, you know, I work with a lot of brands, personally speaking, on launching their employee advocacy strategies. And there's always this misconception that, you know, employee advocacy works from, from the bottom up. And that's wrong. It actually should work from the top down to where your executives are the ones that are taking the lead, showing you how to engage properly as an employee slash asset of the organization. So I think, again, there's so much opportunity for executives to transform the perception of their organizations just by they themselves using social media. And especially in times like where we're at today, where there's so much uncertainty and chaos happening in the world, this is the time for executives to really show their face and humanize their brand. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, Carlos. And, and also, as well as stepping out into the wider audience, it's also about, you know, leading and listening what's going on within their own organizations. Because often, you know, I've spoken about this a few times on the podcast, often there's a disconnect between 
the CEO and the CEO and to what the employees are saying and doing. And and I've had a few people here where they've said, you know, when when they've listened just through jumping onto the channels and just listening initially, you know, no, they don't feel comfortable doing anything, but just get out there and listen for a while and find your feet. Just listening, they they found things. They've seen employees talking about initiatives, sharing ideas, complaining, and just really opening their eyes to, wow, you know, I didn't I didn't realize there was all this intel just right at my fingertips that not just about what's going on in the external world, you know, with our stakeholders, consumers and, and our wider market, but but actually what's going on within our own team. Yeah, I'm so glad that you bring the intel piece up because I often say that social networks like Twitter and Instagram are the world's greatest real-time search engine. And what I mean by that is you can go on Twitter right now and you can type in your company name and see what's being said about your company in real time. And granted, if you represent a large enterprise brand, regardless of where you sit in the organizational chart, you have access to the same data as your boss does, as your competition does. Yes. That in itself is powerful. Yep. If you work for a smaller, you know, you know, or mid-sized company, you might not have the same number of mentions as an enterprise brand. But I can tell you what: let's say that you sell insurance, you can see in real time what people are saying about insurance. Yep. You know, whatever product or service it is that you sell, you can do research on Twitter and in real time see what people are saying about it. And the beauty is that you can have direct conversations. So when you really think of how social networks operate from a data standpoint, you can reverse engineer marketing altogether. And instead of making marketing about you promoting your product and service outward, you can actually do the reverse and see what people are saying about your product and service and then pull that data in and who's talking about it and then go directly to people who are interested, which is fantastic. It's you know, basically your warm leads right in front of you at your fingertips. And this is what most marketers still in 2020 do not realize and and i try to drive this point home through the end of marketing which you know if you, if you haven't read is a fantastic book um and it gets so much just just knowledge bombs and, and i pride myself in walking readers through the know-how and the steps as opposed to just giving you the theory and one of the things i spent a good amount of time writing about and even through my keynotes teaching others about is just what I'm sharing with you here, which is using social networks less about posting content uh, and, and fancy visuals and more about tapping into the data. Another great resource is going to be Instagram. So you can go on Instagram and you can just type in places and go to any city and you can see what people are posting in that city. You can, you can build a relationship directly with them. You can start engaging. I'll give you an example. I was in, in Canada recently doing a speaking engagement in uh, Banff. And I met a real estate agent at this conference and I immediately told her what you need to do is you need to go to the airport in Alberta on Instagram and every single time someone posts a new piece of content, just reach out to them and introduce yourself and say that you're a local real estate agent and welcome them to the area and, and offer them. You know, any help, any tips, any advice that they might need, it's from a lot of people. Like, I think this is what marketers and people who use social media think, that this is going to be a whole lot of work and it's going to become a job in the job. 
most times, if you just dedicate an hour a day, you can get a lot of activity done. And that one hour in the course of a week adds up, and those activities in the course of a week add up. And oftentimes, we don't need to necessarily be getting thousands of sales from social media. But in the case of a real estate agent, if you get one or two extra sales a month or a quarter just because you spent one hour a day working Instagram, that in itself is going to pay itself tenfold. Um, so I'm a big proponent of using social media from a, from a data gathering standpoint and really just using these social networks to be able to identify who's speaking about my business and if they're not speaking about my business. Are they speaking about my industry that I serve? Yep. Um, and then just going forward and, and having dialogue with them. Absolutely. And that's a smart way, isn't it, of utilizing the competencies that, that are there readily available for us. What would you say, Carlos, you know, in, in all your years of, of being active in this space and um, has been your biggest learning so far? Anything you wish you'd known at the outset that, you know, would have made life easier, simpler for you? Um, that's such a good question. I would say um, to not put everything out there. I think that why I am a big proponent of using social media from a professional standpoint, you know, I think once you start putting everything out there from a personal and professional, then you're opening up a Pandora's box. And, you know, I think that's something I wish that I would have, I would have been told earlier on. Um, and I value my privacy a lot more now than when I first started using social media. And it's taken me a while to really identify and realize, look, I use social media for work, for business. This is my sandbox, professionally speaking, personally. Uh, you know, the older I get, I try to, I try to, you know, kind of keep my family time, if you will, to myself. Yes. Off of social media. And I, I would say that's, uh, that's something I would recommend to anyone out there is, is really kind of keep church and state separate. Uh, I get it. It's social. We want to share everything. You've got platforms like Facebook. But, you know, in my case, when my Facebook uh, profile friends are, you know, colleagues for the most part, then, you know, the lines between personal and professional get blurred. Um, so I, I think, again, you know, it's up to you how you want to use these mediums. You know, there's some people don't mind putting everything out there, but you know, I would say um, kind of keep some some time for yourself. The other kind of real critical aspect is you can't just rely exclusively on social media in order to do business with people. People yeah. are so old school, and, and and I use this term throughout the book. You know, old school rules, new school tools. Business is still done very much based on a handshake, based on who you know, who knows you. And again, who likes you? So knowing that you need to use these tools to identify people that you want to do business with, in some cases, strengthen and solidify relationships, but you can't rely exclusively on social media. You still need to go offline. Now, I know in these times that we're in, it's kind of challenging to go offline yes. and meet with people, <laughs> but you know, I'm confident, I'm confident for humanity's sake that we yeah. will get back to the point that we'll be able you know, to travel and openly meet people and go to gatherings. And, you know, that, that, that's the key. I do annually about 50 speaking engagements a year. And what I have found is that the speaking engagements, actually meeting people in person, is what makes me successful. Yeah. Because people are seeing me in the flesh. And then what happens is they follow me online. And then when they follow me online, they're like, all right, I already saw this guy speak. I like his energy. I like his vibe. I'm going to follow his online content. 
He's going to give me keys. He's going to give me value. And then when they find the window there to do business, they reach out to me, which again, like I'm all about growth hacking. I'm all about reverse engineering, marketing and sales. So then I am not actually outselling to you. I'm just giving you value. I'm giving yeah. you content. And then when you want to do business with me, you come to me. Yeah. But we're already connected. And like, that's the key. You have to be connected. And somehow you have to get on people's radar. Yeah. Um, so I know I just spit out a lot of, a lot of kind of nuggets there, but, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what I want. Yeah. I that's what that's I want your audience to realize is that like social media is not the end all be all to business. You still have to go out and meet people. Absolutely. And there's lots of different ways, isn't there? You know, social media is not a lone wolf and there's lots of ways to, to build that share of mind so that, like you say, you know, you're doing various activities that are growing that share of mind so that when somebody is ready to do business with you, you're the natural choice because they've either read your book, they've seen you, you've given value to them. And it, it is, it's that, it's, it's, it's taking them through the consumer journey, isn't it? If we think about that marketing funnel of growing awareness and then taking them through consideration and all of those elements until they come through to conversion, regardless of how long that conversion funnel might take, that's what you're doing. You're you're staying present and you're you're building that that share of mind. So that's a, that's an important it's an important thing um, to to consider. So just finally, then, Carlos, I like to bring a a kind of human element uh, to the podcast, so we can find out a little bit more about our our connected leaders. And I ask three questions. And they're very quick fire questions. So this is top of the head stuff. Some of the questions are quite enormous. And uh, given the time that we're in at the moment, it'll be really interesting. To, there might be some obvious things that you'll say. But I'm going to ask these questions to you. Is that okay? We'll do it. Let's go. Okay. So the first question is, if you could change one thing in the world, what would it be? Uh, if I could change one thing in the world, I, I would change uh, kindness. I, I think that as a society, we need to be more kind with each other and empathetic, especially in times like where we're at now. You know, I mentioned before, there's a lot of uncertainty and chaos happening in the world. So I, I would just say overall, we should be nicer to each other. Yeah, I love that. That's great. And, and it's a good lesson. To, and, and not just now, but you know, let's hope that all this wonderful kindness and compassion that start starting to be cultivated and support with one another continues because, uh, you know, there's, there are some positives coming out of this, this chaos. Um, okay. That's wonderful. The next one as a, as a writer, do you read a lot of books as well, Carlos? I do not. I, I have to be candid with you. I do not read Many, if any, books. Uh, I consume a lot of content online. Go figure. I read a lot of articles and thought leadership. Um, but in terms of reading books, I, uh, I, I can't. I can't say I read many. Okay, so I was going to say which book have you read recently that's inspired you, but I, I get thrown off on, off track if people don't read. You know, I, I just assume everyone. <laughs> so, so instead, your question is: which piece of music? is currently inspiring you? Such a good question. So I'm a big, I'm a big hip hop and rap music fan. Love Drake. Uh, yeah, I like rap music a lot. And anyone that follows me, they kind of feel that and see that just in my vibe and the content I put out. But I don't listen to rap music 
when I get ready to speak or when I sit down to write or, or really when I work. Uh, I like a lot of jazz, blues. I've been listening to a lot of like violin lately. Um, and I think maybe, maybe again, it's, it's just kind of the times that we're in. I'm looking for yeah. something a little bit more chill, a little bit more soothing. But even then, like when I get ready, like people ask me this question, like, what do you listen to to get hyped before you go out on stage and do a talk? And I tell them I listen to just like chill, chill vibes, yeah. you know, just music that kind of gets me in the zone where it doesn't get me all hyper and hyped up. Cause like naturally I'm a real like high energy person on the stage. So, um, I kind of say that energy from in front of an audience and, uh, instead when I'm by myself in my own quiet time, I like to just mellow out. Okay, cool. Lovely. And so what's the best, last but not least, what's the best piece of advice you've been given to date? Uh, so many good pieces of advice. And I give, I give credit to my dad in the acknowledgements of my book, uh, because my dad growing up always shared just, you know, uh, key words of wisdom with me. And one of them um, uh, that has always stood out and I let other people know is the worst type of fear is the fear that you anticipate. So regardless of what the situation is, if you go into it being fearful and anticipating fear, then most likely you're going to fail or you're going to be scared. But if you don't anticipate fear and you just go into situations and see what comes out of it, then you'll be able to at least operate without being held back by fear. Um, you know, something that I learned a long time ago is that you need to take risks in life and see what happens. And when I was 25 years old and I shared with you before my, my story briefly of losing my job, starting up a business, you know, it was a few rough years of my life. I didn't make any money. It hurt my finances, it hurt my family dynamic, and it really was a strain on me overall. But I pushed through it, and it was a result of pushing through the hard times in life that's gotten me to this point where I can look back and say, you know, I've done some really cool things throughout my career. I'm a best-selling author. I've worked at LinkedIn. I speak at all these different events. I have a brand online. None of that would be possible if it wasn't for me taking risks and taking chances. So I'm of, of the belief that there is no such thing as failure. Um, there's learning lessons though. So if you set your mind to do something and it doesn't work out, you necessarily fail. Whatever you learn from that situation is what you walk away with. And as long as you're always learning, then you're always winning. Yeah. I love that. Fantastic. And I think there's another excellent piece of advice. I love, I love the, 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 um, the analogy from your dad again I think in there about you'd rather be the head of the ant than the tail of the elephant always be at the front never be at the back yeah yeah and also you know be be part of something small but leading that rather than be the back of something enormous you know as well correct you know 100% yeah love that so yeah that that really stuck with me from 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 the book I thought that was great um Anyway, Carlos, it's been an absolute pleasure to uh, to, to hear and, and share with you, fellow author, fellow social media advocate. You know, it sounds like across the waters we're spreading a very, very similar message. So it's a it's a real joy to um, to, to to do this. I know we were meant to meet, but of course, circumstances mean that there's no flights and things like that. But it just shows you that technology, in many ways, is is still connecting us. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I, you know, want to invite any one of your, uh, you know, listeners out there to connect with me on social media. 
You can find me at CarlosGill83 on Instagram as well as on Twitter. I'm very active on those platforms as well as on LinkedIn. And if you want to get a copy of End of Marketing, you can find it on Amazon or you can go to endofmarketingbook.com. Fantastic. And I will make sure that I put all the relevant links in the show notes for everybody. So um, links to Carlos's social media, links to uh, to get the, the book and indeed uh, his online um online sites so Carlos it just to say thank you and goodbye thank you so much I appreciate your time you've been listening to the get social connected leader podcast thank you to my guest and indeed thank you to you for tuning in please do feel free to share the podcast with colleagues and friends who you think will enjoy it and indeed subscribe to tune in for more episodes You'll find the podcast on all the usual platforms and all episodes are also on our website, carvelcreative.co.uk forward slash podcasts. You'll also find some really useful digital and social resources on that site too. So be sure to check those out. So for now from me, Michelle Carvel, your host on the podcast, thank you so much for tuning in and goodbye. Oh, P.S. If you're a business leader with something to share around digital and social technologies and you're keen to be a guest on the podcast, then I'd love to hear from you. You can email me, michelle at carvelcreative.co.uk.